1921, during the Cristero era, where there were many communists who were opposed to faith, there are many people who hated the image of Our Lady of Guadalupe. So what they did was they snuck into the church and they hid some dynamite in the flowers. What ensued next was utter disaster. The cross in the front of the church made of brass was bent out of shape. Windows 150 meters away broke and the stairs were destroyed. But what remained untouched was the image. There was no damage done to it. In some ways, many people call this a miracle. Many people have also pointed to other miraculous properties of the image of Our Lady of Guadalupe, about how this image, despite being over 500 years old, has experienced no decay, whereas other materials have also experienced decay within 15 years. In 1981, NASA consultant Philip Callahan, a biophysicist, he wrote an, uh, a, a study where he noted that it was not painted, that there were no strokes, there was no sketch underneath, that this image was all done in one production. But I think one of the most interesting things about this image, or one of the greatest miracles of this image, is that when this image was revealed, over 500 years ago, when this science was not known, when the missionaries could not convert any of the Mexicans or the Aztecs for years, this image converted 9 million people in 8 years. So what happened? I think the method that was used by Our Lady of Guadalupe was also used by God for the Magi. And so what I want to do is I want to talk about how this principle is developed in our gospel today and then show how Our Lady Guadalupe fulfilled that. See, in our story today, we, we hear about the Magi looking for the King of the Jews, which is quite interesting already. And this statement was very shocking to Herod because Herod knew that he was not the King of the Jews. He is what we know as an Edomite, which means that he was not of Jewish heritage because the Jewish heritage passed through Jacob rather than Esau. And the Edomites came from the line of Esau. And so the Magi were called in some ways by the star, but they did not have enough information, so they had to go to the Jewish people. And eventually the star leads them to Jesus, and they're overwhelmed with joy and worshipped him. But one question we want to ask is this. How did the Magi know? They're from the East. They're not Jewish people, but why are they looking for the king of the Jews? And how did they know that this little child was God? I think a compelling answer to this question of how did the Magi know comes from Bishop Fulton Sheen in his book, The Life of Christ. In the first chapter, he talks about how Jesus is the only one who is pre-announced. Buddha, Mohammed, Lao Tzu, all these other religious figures were not pre-announced, but Jesus was pre-announced, was prophesied in hundreds of ways. He was prophesied in the scriptures hundreds of years before his birth. For example, the prophet Micah chapter 5 speaks of his birthplace. Psalm 22 speaks of the type of death he would undergo. Isaiah chapter 53 would speak of his reason for his death. But what's really interesting is this. 
is that Jesus was also pre-announced and prophesied by pagan sources, generally speaking, of course. Tacitus, the first century historian, says that many believed in the ancient prophecies that from Judea was to come the master and ruler of the world. The Greeks, six centuries before the birth of Jesus, said that look not to any end to this curse until God appears to accept upon his head the pangs of your own sins vicarious. Even the Babylonian predictions in the East spoke about how if the star was in a particular way, the star of Jupiter was positioned in a particular way, that enemy kings would be destroyed. In some ways, this could give reason for why the Magi were overjoyed when they saw the newborn king, because this star pointed to the fulfillment of the king who would destroy all the enemy, enemy kings. And this is the main point I want to get across, that the desire of Jesus is written on the heart of every single person. That's why St. Augustine says, Our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. All of our hearts were made for God. And in some ways, no wonder there are different expressions of it in culture through prophecy. And what God does is God uses it to draw us to himself. Of course, he used his specific revelation to the Jewish people to draw him to himself. And that's what's unique, that in this story, God does not just stop at the star. See, the star led them to Jerusalem. It, in some ways, reveals that the star, in a way, the cultural longings of the people are not enough to, f to be brought to God. What they need is to come to Jerusalem, which means that they need to receive the revelation of God through the scriptures, through the Jewish people, whom God has specifically chosen to reveal himself. And so this longing of the human race, the cultural longings of all the people start the journey, but the scriptures give the exact destination. Another way we could say it is that there are sparks of truth. There's a rays of light, as the Vatican II would speak of, in these cultural longings. But all of these things cannot save us by themselves. They have to lead us to Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. And so, as Catholics, when we evangelize, we need to understand the hearts of the people, what they want, what they desire, what they hope for. In some ways, their desires and their hopes and their yearnings, in a way, are symbolic of the star. And for us as Catholics, if we understand their desires and we see the imperfect good, we can use the star to lead them to the Christ child. Our job is to elevate the good that is found in culture and bring it to its fulfillment. So for example, there's a really interesting example of this young man named Dan. He's 23 years old. He's a skeptic and he hated Catholicism and priests themselves. But what he did was he loved Bob Dylan. And so he was listening to videos of Bob Dylan and all these different things. Then, he, then YouTube, as we all know, on the right side, had this algorithm with a bishop commenting on Bob Dylan's work. And so what he did was he, in his mind, he first said, what can a priest say about Bob Dylan? But his curiosity invited him to click on it. And he found what Bishop Robert Barron, this priest, this bishop, spoke about Bob Dylan. And he found the insights interesting. 
And so he began watching more videos of philosophy and then theology. And then eventually he got onto the website of Word on Fire. And then a couple of months later, and this is the email that he's writing to Bishop LeBaron. He says that, you know, I've been, I watched this video and I watched that video. And it's been a couple of months now. And I just want to tell you that now I've enrolled in RCIA to become Catholic. Wow, it's, it's amazing. Right? How by beginning with the imperfect good of Bob Dylan, Bishop Robert Barron, through the instrument of YouTube, was able to lead this young skeptic, Dan, to the Christ child. Right? And of course, I'm not saying that Bob Dylan is a religion and we should and it will save us or that we can be saved without the truth of Catholicism. No, what I, I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that if we can recognize recognize the imperfect good in culture and lead it and elevate it to its perfect good and lead it to Christ, that is the principle of evangelization we should be using. That's how Mary did it when she appealed to the cultural longings and symbols of the Aztecs and she pointed them to Christ. If you see the image of Our Lady Guadalupe, Mary is standing in front of the sun and the moon, which indicates that she is greater than the sun and moon gods that they worshipped. In addition to that, she was wearing the color teal, which was a symbol of royalty. And so when they saw this image of Our Lady Guadalupe, they, they knew this person was powerful, greater than their gods, and was a queen. But at the same time, they recognized that she was not God because her hands were in the gesture of prayer. Her hands were put together, indicating that she's praying to someone greater than herself. And this greater than herself was indicated by the cross on her neck, which was on this particular medallion, and which for the, the Aztecs symbolated a consecration. This ribbon around her waist indicated that she was pregnant. And then the four-petal flower that was on her womb was one of the highest symbols for the Aztecs. It indicated the four motions of the sun. And essentially, it indicated that this child was of divine origin and that's why millions of Aztecs converted to Catholicism because Our Lady appealed to their cultural longings the imperfect good that was there but she elevated and led them to her son and so the same way God speaks to all of our hearts he appeals to all of our deep desires for truth goodness beauty happiness and he's inviting us to see them as stars. But he is also inviting us to recognize that they all lead to him. And so when we begin to recognize that in ourselves, we can do that for others. We can evangelize. We can help others discover the stars in their lives, which leads to the fulfillment of all desire, Jesus Christ. <laughs>